Hello, and welcome to season two of the London Writers Salon podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Parole. And each week we sit down with a writer that we admire to talk about the craft of writing and the art of building a successful and sustainable writing career. These interviews are recorded live with our global writing community. If you would like to join us for the next recording or write with us at our daily Writer's Hour writing sessions, head to LondonWritersSalon.com for more information. In this episode, we talk to screenwriter Selena Lim. Selena is a BAFTA-nominated screenwriter who was in the writer's room for Series 3 of the popular Netflix show Sex Education and Season 3 of the Amazon Prime show Hannah. Selena shares her screenwriting journey, from her first BBC script to earning a BAFTA nomination and how she broke into the industry as an outsider. Selena also gives us a peek at the inner workings of a writer's room on a hit TV series, the different roles, how it functions, exercises they use, and how writers collaborate inside it. We also talk about the financial realities of being in the industry and why she and many of her fellow writers still have day jobs. We dive into the craft of writing impactful scenes and sharp dialogue, and Selena gives us advice about how we can explore the role of a character within a storyline. Selena talks about the importance of knowing the emotional beat of a scene. She says, what is the work that the scene is doing? Why is it there? You have to ask so you know what emotional beat you're hitting. We also talk about how sex scenes are like any other scenes. They simply further the story. Selena was so honest and open about her journey into the world of screenwriting. She's also loads of fun, and we had a blast talking with her. Without further ado, we hope you enjoy this conversation with Selena Lim. We asked our last interview guest if you could be in any venue in London giving this talk or having this interview, where, where would you be? Or it could oh be anywhere in the world. God, it, well, literally anywhere, anywhere but my house. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that is my answer. Right. <laughs> Good answer. I'm really not fussy at this point. <laughs> Club. And of course, the last time we met, it was Barrington when we interviewed. I think, I think it was like our third ever or fourth ever interview. Yeah. So it's wonderful to watch you, all the different work that you've been doing since then. And as we said before, it's quite convenient for us not to have to commute. I'd like to start by uh, sharing a picture of you that we that we found that you shared on. I think it was on Instagram. I'm going to share it here. And so your your art is visual. And so we want to start with this visual aid (laughs) to help us understand the life of a screenwriter in a writer's room. Where is this? What's happening? Yes, this is the sex ed writer's room. That's Temi Wilkie, one of the other writers. Her most recent piece of work was The High Table Play, which is awesome at Shepherd's Bush Theatre. This was sort of Oxford Circus, Marlebone Way. There is a hole in the table for, I guess, computer te- PowerPoint leads, blah, blah, blah. And you just go a little bit mental in the uh, writer's room. You're cooped up in a room all day, every day for six or five weeks. And yeah, I think at just one point I was like, I need to see if my head will fit through this hole. And it did, and it did not get stuck. So that was a win, as far as I'm concerned. And you can see all the snacks there. That's what keeps you going. Feels like an error, really. Lots of sugar, so lots of highs and then crashing lows. Looks Um, like a board meeting, but a lot more fun. Yeah. Well, it was just a really fun room. So, I mean, it's, yeah. I guess looking back, it's nice. I felt able to do that and confident enough to be able to do that without the fear of getting fired. But, yeah, it's just a really fun group of people. So it's a moment of levity. 
when I heard that you were writing on sex education, I was very, very excited. To me, it seems like a really big deal. Did it feel that way for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved the show. So I came to it as a complete fan, you know. So I was totally, totally excited about it. They had uh, basically put a call out to agents, the writers, for season three, and my agents put my name forward, and they saw a short of mine called Playing Ball, which was written for BBC drama. It was only like 15 minutes long or something. But weirdly, I think tonally, quite similar to Sex Ed. And they really liked it. And so that got me an interview. So I met with Laurie and Claire, who's the story producer. And they were both so lovely. And we just really clicked. And I mean, I didn't do much, actually, apart from just be a complete fan of the show and just say all the things that I loved about it. And where I could see the characters going. At that point, I'd, I think I'd only seen season one. So I kind of gave them... A, ideas I'd had for where the characters go for season two and weirdly a lot of them chimed with what actually happened to be going on in season two so I think it just yeah it just felt it, it felt really good it felt really right it was literally off the back of that and they were like you have to come join the writers room which is great I'm very excited and that's coming out in 2021 yes hopefully so they're in production now so fingers crossed all being well it'll be out next year mm. who knows it's, it, it's films in Wales so you know, things were looking mm. a bit dodged there, but as far as I know, it's still happening. Mm. So for sex education, how many writers are in a writer's room for that one in particular? God, I'm trying to think. We had Laurie and then five more of us. There were six in total. And then two other people. So the story producer and script editor. So in total, eight. I mean, it's quite a lot of writers, I suppose, but um, it, was, it was a really tight room. You know, we didn't really, we had the odd visit from the big cheeses. Actually, it was quite. It, they kept it quite tight, and it was, that was good. That worked well. Mm. And there's another show that you're writing for, Hannah, and you said that just wrapped. What about four to six weeks ago or so? That's right. Um, just signed off the draft for that. Yeah, and obviously a lot's changed since we last saw each other. The whole C word. Yeah. But how has that changed your work? So you, I assume you transitioned with Hannah. You were. What did the writers' room look like? Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. It was a, an online writers' room, first one I've ever done. It was done over the summer. I mean, in terms of logistics, they did it really well. It was it, it was every day, Monday to Friday, but they only did nine till one. Because, you know, I think being on Zoom is quite different to being in a room. It's quite exhausting. It's Yeah, it's, it takes a weird sort of energy from you, doesn't it? So they only did nine till one. And then you kind of went away and had a bit of homework, thinking time, writing time, to just sort of flesh out some ideas or what the outline of your episode might, might look like and things like that, um, find out some plot points and then we'd come together again the next morning and that was really good it just gave you some time to digest what's happening during the day that you wouldn't ordinarily get logistically just easier I mean I've got kids so it was just like oh great I don't have to go to London and then work out what the hell I'm going to do with hmm. minions it was strange and but it actually it really worked you just had to sort of the energy went into sort of really focusing whoever was talking and then wait for your point to you know the time that you could speak waiting for space mm. so one of the things we were talking about before we started this was how you've got into the industry as being an outsider not only you know in the work but also physically you live uh, in oxford lived outside of london now it seems like that's less of a deal but for those of us who don't know your story maybe we rewind a little bit back to your origin story of breaking into the industry can you talk us through what were those early days for you when you know we look at you now and and you know sex education and hannah and all these very impressive titles but at one point you were starting out 
What did those early days look for you when you wanted to get into screenwriting? What were you doing? Well, first of all, I feel like I'm continually starting out. <laughs> You're always going from one project to another. So I think, yeah, I think all writers will probably always have that sort of imposter syndrome. I mean, I always did creative writing and I did creative writing BA at the University of East Anglia and wrote lots of short stories and lots of really bad poetry. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And then I took an, an evening course in Oxford run by the now, the now sort of gone UK Film Council. And that was like a 12 week evening course. And that was great. That was just like, oh, I get this. This is what I want to do. I, I, it really, really spoke to me. But also, I didn't know really what to do with that. But it was, it, it was always, always really more of a hobby, to be honest. Looking back, that was great. That took a lot of pressure off. It didn't feel like something, you know, I was forcing myself to do. And it just let me be quite free and brave. And I wrote what, one five-minute script, a piece of homework for it. I was on their sort of newsletter list. And an opportunity came around on email saying from the BBC, asking for new writers. And so I submitted to that scheme a 15-minute script. And that was one of, I think, four films that was commissioned. So that was great. That was my first sort of step on the ladder. And because it's the BBC, that's that's also great for your CV. So, you know, I was really fortunate there. And I didn't have to do anything. So I didn't know the first thing about how do you film something? How do you produce something? How do you direct something? So literally all I did was write a script. And they were great. It was, they let me go on, on set and the director kind of mentored me in the ways of film production. It was a really, really good sort of entry scheme. And that film was Painkiller, a short 15-minute film that Benedict Wong was in. And that got me noticed by lots of people at the BFI. And that enabled me, having made a short film, that enabled me to apply for the BFI scheme, for which I wrote a 30-minute film. That's one that, that was BAFTA-nominated. It all just seemed to sort of snowball. And, it was, and I was like, mm. it all seemed a bit surreal, actually. But it, again, it, it was just me writing in my bedroom. I didn't know anybody. I, you know, I applied for the BFI screen on my own, didn't have a producer attached. They were like, we put together this guy and I'd never heard of him. You know, it was all that kind of thing. And then from then, it, it was really odd. I think I made a decision at that point to go into TV. I was very aware that I wanted to make a living out of this. I wanted to make money out of this. So I wanted this to be my job. And I knew it would take a really long time. I also knew that you really don't make any money in film or it's kind of like a passion project and it takes so long to make a film and you've got to have other means to support yourself. So yeah, at that point I decided I'd go into TV and also that's when agents get interested. And I also knew being based in Oxford, I'm not going to be in London all the time networking and meeting people. And I really, really needed an agent to sort of get my name out there and stuff. That's when I applied for yet another BBC scheme playing, I made playing ball. And that's how I got my agent. Things have moved on from that. And what were you doing to, to help pay the bills during that time? I have and still have a day job, which is working part-time for an educational publisher called Pearson. So I work in the primary maths. So it's, it's completely different. I'm like, I do instructional design and e-learning and I will develop interactive resources for primary school children uh, so they can learn maths. It's great because there is a correct answer. Generally, there's structure and I'm not faced with a blank page. I imagine that takes the pressure off having to worry about the next project that's coming through. Exactly. It's bad when I've got things on because my life is completely manic and I don't leave my desk. I sort of get up at six and I go, I leave it at about nine o'clock in the evening doing two jobs. But I just look at the pros really at the moment, which is, yeah, it means I have I have freedom to say, no, I don't want to do this job. If one comes in, that doesn't feel right. And I'm not, yeah, freaking out for the next project. 
so I'm, I, I'm definitely moving towards being able to go full time with the writing. I think just with yeah, with, with kiddies at the moment, it's, it's probably not yet. Mm. But I, I love that the, your mindset, though, because that that can be such a sticking point for someone who wants to make it, you know, but the, the fact that you came at it as a hobby and you're still you're getting paid, but you have this that you know you'll get paid for. You know, I just, I love that as a framing. So, th- and thanks for sharing and being uh, honest with us. And that was one of the yeah. things that resonated with with me when you were talking in our last interview. Um, I'm yeah. curious, so some of the other writers that you meet in the writer's room, is that is that common? Do they, will they talk about their day jobs? Do they have day jobs? <laughs> I don't know anyone makes a living at this job. It's, no, I, they, I don't know. They, they must do. I, I know some people do. I think directors, a lot of directors will, direct commercials and that's how they make their money i know so i know a director who's about to start working hollyoaks and he's done telemarketing so yes there are people that have to do two jobs i don't know i don't know if it's a funny thing it's a funny business it's, i think even talking about your children is a funny thing in this business like is mm-hmm. it you know you don't know much about other people's lives the thing is so the work is so all-encompassing it's really interesting because it is actually very similar to pu- like book publishing a lot of novelists have other jobs that seems to be like an accepted fact that if you want to do your creative work you might have to do some other commercial work or yeah absolutely classic office job um, I'm curious about the dynamic in the writers rooms because it seems to me that I imagine there's, there's a lot, a lot of ego, maybe, that you have to let go of in order to work with other people. Who sets that tone of hierarchy? Um, I think I've been lucky. I've not that much. I mean, sometimes, yes. Sometimes it's more hierarchy. It's, I think it's more you pay attention to the fact that, you know, this is the lead writer and this is their, their project and they're going to always have the final say. But I think I've been lucky in that I don't, I don't feel that I've come across much ego, really. I think, you know, you all want what's best for the project it's such a collaborative thing and generally people take a lot of care to put rooms together but yeah I mean I don't know I I, I, I mean as you can see me sticking a hole through the head of the window I'm I, I you know I'm quite happy to make a fool of myself I think that's what's going to set the tone for a good writer's room if I remember the first time in um in sex ed I think it was my first second day maybe and I was just like can I just pitch a really stupid idea said I've just got to get out of the way and it was a ludicrous idea and the whole room just screamed because it can was just us? stupid <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> but um it just lets it tell just like okay that's it we can all just say stupid things and it's okay and I think that's where you get the best out of people and there's not that fear of ego or looking silly you know and anything goes because you know whatever you say no matter how ludicrous you think it is it will spark something else off you'll go down another avenue no doubt mm. and that something good will come of that and I imagine sex education is quite ripe for some wonderfully ludicrous ideas. Like there's that character who likes to dress up as an alien when she has yes. sex. So that's, yes. you know, quite out there. Was Hannah different to sex ed in terms of the, um, the feel of the writer's room? Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, because it was online, that, I think that's one thing I miss was that sort of personal interaction. It's those moments when you go and make a cup of tea with somebody and you're like, what's your life like outside this room? That's where you get a bit more interaction. But... Other than that, I'd say both are really quite open and free. I think Laurie had some ideas for a few major storylines and she knew she knew what the series was going to be about, the series was going to be about. Within that, it, everything was up for grabs, you know. She'd never ever say, no one would ever say to us, no, you can't be thinking on these lines. We were just, 
often it didn't feel like work. You're just sitting there and chatting. It's what it feels like. And before you know it, it's lunch. And then before you know it, it's in the day. And then you look around and there's just loads and loads of notes on the wall. And you're like, oh, God, did we do that? And you're just, you just start a day. Uh, for the first week, we just took a character and we were like, let's talk about Jackson. And we just talked about him. What do you like? What, what positions he'd been in? Situation was he in when we last left him? Where could he go? What do we like? What do we not like? All of these things. And just just chatted about each character and you just somehow find yourself meandering into sort of plots and situations mm. and character journeys. So we kind of did that for all of our characters and, and Laurie gave us it, it was great. You know, she had, she had all her ideas so she, she could steer us in, our, in, in directions that she wanted to and stuff. Yeah, and then I think for with working with David Farr on Hannah, he had a very clear idea of what this series looked like. He had ideas of plot points. And then I think we really finessed sort of like character journeys. I, I was given my episode quite early on. I was told I would be writing episode three. And I think I got quite a lot of ownership over that. And he knew what he wanted to happen, but he was quite happy to let us work out the how. This idea of the writer's room is so fascinating to us because a lot of writers that are listening or here in the room, we're writing solo tasks. We're either writing a book or a script on our own or a blog or something. And this idea of, of having people to bounce ideas off sounds really interesting. And, and it always comes up of, of someone getting stuck either on a character or on a plot point or something. So there's one writer in particular, she's probably here, Lauren, but she's trying to figure out, understand her baddie, her monster. She's writing a horror book. If you were trying to understand this character, do you have any exercises that you do in the writer's room that maybe we can apply to our own work or in our own community, what would you do if you're trying to learn more about a villain and trying to understand that villain? Anything other than just talking or how would you do that? I guess I, I need to understand what role this character has in your story. And for me, I always look for the conflict. So what conflict are they providing with who and in what way? I kind of look at character journeys a lot. I mean, I'm not so afraid with sort of the horror genre at all. But for me, when I devise characters, I think, how do they conflict? Also, how do they complement another character? Because that's where you get the best sort of magic is, is finding both conflicts and connection between characters. That, that's always great for me personally. And then looking at individual characters, it's like, you know, why are they there? What's the point of them? What are they bringing to your story? How are they driving the narrative? How are they bringing drama? How are they bringing tension? All of that stuff. And if the characters themselves, you know, how are they complex? I often do this thing of <clears throat> in rooms, which is where you go through, you have to be really, really precise about your character. What does your character want? And what does your character need? And those two things should hopefully be different. I think your characters do, do need a blind spot to be interesting and how they change from the beginning to the end. In terms of baddies, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I don't know why my thinks in that way. I don't think it even has to be about a baddie. It's just, it's really interesting just hearing how you flesh out mm. that character, yeah. how you bring them to life. And I guess I was curious because, you know, there's the, the popular like improv game, Yes And. And I was just wondering, like, are there any things of, oh, let's do this game or let's do this exercise um, to try to break a story or. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to just turn it upside down, like flip everything gender, mm. age, what happens if you flip that? And, and, and if it's interesting, why is that interesting? Then you get to the nugget of what you want this character to do. You know, if it's, why is it a man? Why is it not a woman? Why is it interesting now that it's now a woman? You know, all, all of that stuff can get you thinking, mm. I think. And what about the dynamic of the group? Like, would someone facilitate that? Or is it 
kind of popcorn style where you just throw ideas. If so, if we were to try to create our own little writer's room, how might we set it up? I think you need someone, yeah, steering the ship. You know, the sex of dream, we knew what we'd be doing in each week, which characters we'd be discussing each day, all that we were discussing characters on this day. Then we'd go into looking at episodes across the series and looking at an episode itself rather than character arts going across the series. We'd look solely at what one episode and what's happening in that episode. Yeah, I, th- I think you definitely need to focus. I think it's always good to have some structure to your chat. You know, this is the story I want to tell. This is the synopsis of it. This is where I want to start. This is hopefully where I want to end. Then what you're doing is filling in the middle. That, that always gives to me some clarity to writer's rooms. And will you actually write all the ideas that come up? Will you write them all down, good, bad, ugly? and? and yeah, yep. Yeah. So our script editor would just, a script editor would, would be there to just write everything down and then distributes the notes that evening to everybody. Mm-hmm. So you can have a little read or recap if you want to for the morning. And just so we know what everyone's got. And for the online writer's room, we had a very cool thing, which is like a, a whiteboard, a storyboard, an online storyboard. So we could see what was happening in episodes one, two, three, four, five, six. And, and notes, we made notes, the script editor made notes on that each day mm. as, we, as we were discussing things. Right. And so, so everything's noted. And so when you get assigned your episode, you already know because you've discussed it in the room what's going to happen. And then you have to actually go ahead and write the dialogue. Everything is down to you, the actual. Yeah. Generally what happens in the room is you all collaboratively, everybody together shapes what the series will look like and what each episode would look like and what the major beats are in each episode. Then the head writer will normally then go away and do the really hard work of writing outlines for you. That's what happened in Sex Ed. And then in Hannah, I was actually given the task of writing my own outline. So it can work differently, but the head writer will always review that and be like, yes, yes, no, no. And then once that's the outline is signed off, that's it. Yeah, you, you, what you'd normally do at that point is create a scene by scene, it's called. So you've got your outline and it's all written in prose. So we start the episode scene, da, 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 and then I would just literally, uh, uh, in final draft, I'd get a card for each scene and I'd just say, in this scene, Jackson does blah, Maeve does blah. And it shows you the, the beat and the, the plot point that you're hitting in that scene. It's then really precise and everybody's on the same page and they can then go, yep, yeah, we're happy, go to script. Interesting. And so I guess you must, that by that point, know the characters very, very well. You understand the sort of things they would say. It would have already been discussed. They wouldn't take any sort of left field action. It's all within character, like a character. Yeah, space. and I mean, that's the job of a good writer. I think you have to know the characters. And, I'm, and I, I suppose it's, be, it's been somewhat easier for me coming in on series threes of these two shows because we know and love them already. We've, yeah, I, I can hear, I know who they are. Ordinarily, yeah, it's that's what you'd also be doing in the writer's room if you if you you know you're really fine-tuning who these characters are. So everyone is absolutely on the same page. I would love to talk about dialogue, and I realize we could talk about dialogue for a very long time, but maybe we just touch upon it. I'm curious to know your thoughts on either the process you go through to make really good, sharp dialogue. I mean, sex education is filled with really sharp, engaging, funny, awkward, not cliched lines, or sometimes cliched, but for effect. And I I just wonder about your process of writing and how much editing you do when you write or where you get inspiration from, anything you can talk around that subject. I've said this to a few writers that I know, and, and we were saying that when I know the characters, it's not almost like I'm not writing, it's like I can see it in my head, the scene, and then I'm just transcribing it. This is almost like daydreaming. I can just 
see the scene so clearly in my head as to what's happening and I can play it out in my head and then it's just a rush to get it on the page really to describe what's in my head does that make sense I don't it I don't, does it does yeah. it makes me think that your, re, your your work beforehand has informed all of that yeah like you've spent so long but yeah and the way that you can do that, the way that your mind can just go off and daydream is if you're really tight on everything else. So you absolutely know what the bigger picture is, what's the huge story you're telling over six episodes or of your book. Also, what is that scene doing? What is the work that, that scene's doing? Why is it there? You have to absolutely know that. What emotional beat are you hitting here? You know, I don't know. Is it something as sad as Bob feels sad to discover blah, blah, blah? That, that's where you've got to get to, right? You've always got that in mind. And so when you write dialogue, it's to get to that point. It's to elicit that emotion and that feeling so that nothing is wasted. Like there is like literally not, not a single line um, that isn't interrogated. It, it, there's no point to it. It's not furthering that emotional beat and it's not doing the work that, that scene should be doing. Then it just, it doesn't stay basically. And for the structure for that scene, are you using any sort of I suppose, methodology or what, what's your thinking? I know you've spoken about how that te- scene turns and, what end goal you're trying to get to is there anything else yeah I mean it feels like a bit of like a tennis game really you know it's back and forth of the dialogue you know that's how I see it you have to be so clear on where these two people are and to be able to empathize with two points of view and then to imagine how those are gonna battle against each other in this scene to get you from A to B in that scene so you know that's where to about conflict I suppose and tension it's it's what's character A's point of view and what's character B's point of view. And it's just working out the rhythms of that and how the dialogue gets you from their emotional state at the beginning to the end. Right, because it build they'll build on each other rather yeah, than exactly. stagnating. Yeah. All those little mind, little rhythms, you know, like I've written a scene where someone's having an argument and you know, someone says something and the other person takes it as an apology and then there's all that moment in an argument where you've said sorry and you expect the other person to say sorry and they don't and it's like oh, shit and it's so it's just understanding that it's like how do I get them to argue from this point to this point and so it's just understanding the rhythms and the beats and the tennis game that they're playing and that's what will inform your dialogue I think each line they're saying gets you on the next step of that journey for mm. them there's, there's little journeys in every scene right mm. absolutely and so, yeah, I, I love it that you're imagining the scene in your head and then you're trying to put it on the page. Do you ever speak dialogue out, like to hear how it sounds or is it is it all pretty internal? I don't, I know other writers do actually. And and uh, one of the other writers in Sex so she does, she reads the entire thing out to herself to hear it. I should try it actually, I haven't, because it is really different. And shows will do read-throughs where everyone sits around and reads the script out, sits around a table and just reads the script out. And it is quite different when you hear it read out hear the rhythms and words don't sound quite right so yeah it is I think it would be helpful so when you've been assigned an episode to write at what point does does your editorial mind kick in do you write the whole thing and then go back and edit or yeah as you go along I I don't know you can sit behind me I've got a thing that I always subscribe to which is write drunk and edit sober so you get the head on where you write your scene by scenes you know what each beat's got to do and then when you write it to absolutely get in the heart of it and write the most ridiculously cliched if you want stuff just gets the heart of your scene that's what I tend to do and the first time I try a scene it's always terrible you know I hate you get out what is happening you know and it's but 
it's fine. They're almost like placeholders to the well-written lines. And it just gets me to the end. And it helps me really flesh out what I'm trying to do in this, in this scene. And then, you, yeah, it's really odd. You do have to just change something in your head and go back with a really brutal critical eye and then see, okay, see, I know what I'm trying to say with this line. I'm just saying it very badly. And you rewrite that and you get more nuance and subtleties. It's always like you, you write the heart of the scene and you cover it over with subtext and then your audience are reading between the lines and everyone feels very clever. That's what happens. Right. I, I'm really curious about that point. And, and this is, is this where you're talking about you're trying to show character behaviour, but through something they're not saying or through exactly. action rather yeah. than an obvious, I'm a bit of a bastard instead of saying that. Yeah. Show it. It's so much more interesting when you understand the things that people aren't saying in a scene. That, that, that's the interesting thing. That's where all the drama's happening is underneath. It's just underneath that level there. And if you've got good characters and you're telling the story clearly, then we all know what's going on in that scene. We know what these characters are really saying to each other. And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's very, particularly in Hannah, characters say a lot more what they're thinking and say, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, they will often be plainer in the way they speak. Someone like Jackson in Sex Education, he's very tightly Started. held together. There's yeah. so much he's not saying. And that's about planting, you know, that's about us seeing something earlier on so we know what his mental state of mind is. So then the scene, 10 minutes later, when he says, oh, I can't meet you for dinner, we know why. And we know that the other person doesn't know why, but me, we and Jackson know why. That, that's what keeps interesting. That what's, you know, will give you depth and tension and all of that. Yeah. I, I have a quick question about writing sex scenes and especially the, I suppose, teenage sex scenes as well. Sex education is very, I don't know what the word is. It, it explores everything. <laughs> Just feel like there's so much exploration. How do you know when it's gone too far? Have there been things Never that you've scaled back? Far. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point of sex education. <laughs> were there lots of things that were cut out? That you know, there are lots of like crazy, crazy ideas that were scaled back. No, I think the only things you just want to be responsible. I suppose you don't want to show inaccurate things. You, you know, I mean, it's a lot of there's a lot of awkwardness. And when I say crazy, I don't even mean like it's not necessarily what they do. It's it's the way they do it or the, the level of awkwardness that comes into it. Which is great, isn't it? Because we don't want to see shiny plastic people having perfect sex. That's that's okay for a point, but it's just a bit depressing otherwise. But yeah, and I think that's the charm of it. It's interesting because I don't know, I don't differentiate the sex scenes from anything else. I think a sex scene is like any other scene, which is what's it doing here? Um, right. What's what's the point of this scene? What's it telling us? How's it driving the narrative? What's it telling us about the character's state of mind? So it's. It, I would say it's, it's funny, Everything is about sex, except sex itself. <laughs> so what is happening when they're having sex? You know, what, what we often see in sex education is all the fears, insecurities, the assumptions that people have, the misunderstandings. That's what we're seeing in sex education during that sex scene. So yes, I'm writing about someone's arse or dick or whatever, but it's not really about that. That's really actually not the interesting thing in terms of our characters, although it's fun to see. I love that angle. That's really mm. interesting. Do you draw an inspiration from personal experience, friends' experiences? Where, where do you find yes. some of these? Like, do, really... you, do you ask your friends what, what's your oh, worst yeah. awkward stories? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had no shame. Weeks before the writer's room, I just pestered my friends with sex stories. 
you Paul actually I, I tried I tried, I tried to give you my <laughs> which I will stories. describe now all of Paul's sex stories <laughs> that you gave me yeah I did which was really far and great and you know it was a room of complete oversharing I felt like I'd taken a truth drug I was like oh my god I don't feel like anyone in my life knows this but all you six strangers do whatever so everyone was just really open we told the most hilarious ridiculous things about our lives they don't go in the show like word for word it's just those emotional truths that you absorb and the feelings that you had and have in relationships, it's all of that as, as we're talking and, and working out how these characters would react and what they would do. Has there been anything that's helped you write good dialogue, authentic dialogue, assuming you didn't come out the womb just having it like nailed? Um, Is there anything, either books you read or maybe it was the, the classes you took or just the practice of it being around other people? Is there anything that kind of helped you level up your, your writing? I don't know that I did. I think you asked me the question before, like what, what makes authentic dialogue? And I think it's, it's, first of all, it's not realistic. That's a different thing. People often ask about realistic dialogue, so I don't think it's to be confused with that because how people talk in real life is probably really quite dull. It's being true to so many things, like your world, the character, the tone, and the situation they're in. I know so much backstory of each of my characters. Like, I know where they would shop. I know what they would wear. I know how they might have grown up, all of that stuff. And that informs everything, the way they speak. And also, if you're really clear on a scene and what emotional beat you're trying to get to, that really helps you because you, you can be so focused on what they're saying. It's a trigger. You know, what they say is a trigger for something to happen or someone else to say something else. So you've got a really specific focus there. Bob has to say something that makes Jane react in this way. So you, you've already got a focus. I think then it's just observing people and being really funny attuned to the way people say things. And when you don't have a couple seasons to go off of with a character, how do you get inside a character's head? Is there anything you do to, to try to understand that character more? What would this character would definitely do this or they would definitely not do that? What helps you get there? Sometimes it really helps to cast it in your own head. So like who would play this in a film and just to describe them physically, you know, what the head looks like, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff definitely helps and it's sort of the shorts I've written and stuff my original stuff I've always had an idea of who could play this from and, and that gives you a sense of the person personality definitely that's really interesting I love that makes it feel a whole lot easier when you already have yeah. the person in your mind yeah you've come so far from when you first mm. started what does it mean for you to grow as a writer what's what's the step for you now it's going to sound really wanky, but like honing your voice, really understanding what it is you want to say and do and just being very brave about it. In terms of learning my craft, for me, it's personally just been about taking the opportunities I can and putting myself in just quite scary situations. I don't know. Like I've never I'd never done a writer's room at one point, you know. I was like, oh, God, but you've just got to go and you've got to have the belief and you've got to just trust that you can do it. And, and also just really... Be, be yourself because then you'll find the place that you're supposed to be you know there's absolutely no point in faking it I think just trying to be honest about things I do and don't like and I've definitely been in situations where things haven't worked out you know and I haven't been picked for a room or whatever but I don't see that as failure or whatever I just see it's that was not I was not supposed to be there so I think that in the long run is what keeps you going and not going slightly mad and I really um, like your approach. Yeah, so just working with good people, people I admire, watching as much stuff on TV as I can. And I just always know who makes things, who writes things, you know. 
if I really like something, I'll make sure I know who wrote that episode, stuff like that. Are there any any series that you've been watching recently that you really love? I just finished watching Succession. I was so slow to it. That's so good. Really good. Loved it. I loved. I haven't seen it yet. I'll put it on my list. Yeah, what, definitely watch that. I loved how um how much we rooted for people we should hate. Really, it was so good. Really smart. Really, really intelligent. And, and took the audience as, as intelligent beings as well, which is great. So yes, that's mm. the last thing I've finished. You mentioned doubt and self-doubt, and this is kind of the the shadow that many of us carry with us of maybe feeling like we're not quite ready for it, whatever that next step is. How have you dealt with that? How how have you helped kind of pull yourself along when you're feeling that doubt? Is there any anything you do to cheer yourself up or keep yourself going and Yeah, yeah. I try not to listen to the inner voice too much. I think I look at what I've done rather than what I think you know, and I look back and I think, okay, well, I was petrified and I thought I was going to get fired from that project. Every, every project I do, I think I'm going to get fired. I hand in my first draft and I think, shit. And then it comes out with really good notes. And I just think, okay, I did this in the last, you know, couple of projects. What have we learned here? Um, you know, so just chill out and just and, and do your thing and, and, it'll, and it'll be good. And also, you know, I'm, I'm pretty philosophical about it. And I think, I think it helps that I've got a day job. I, you know, I think let's let's be realistic. It's it's writing. It's not life and death. That's how I see it. If I fail, I bloody fail, and that's fine. I will always write. I know that. I'll always write today. I die. I'll always write in some form or another. And if nobody sees it, okay, that's how I I will never lose because I just love writing. So I think I'll always do it. And I've been really fortunate and lucky that I seem to be good at it, and it's happening. Honestly, if it all went away tomorrow, I would just keep doing it anyway, and that's okay. I think that's what allows you to be a bit freer, I suppose. Choices mm. you make. Sounds like such a healthy and uh, inspiring attitude. This wow. has been wonderful, is, Selena. Yeah. Any final questions? Any anything from you, Parl? We we always ask if there's any way we can support you. I suspect that it's not about for you following you on social, but if there's anything that we can do to support you, please ask. Oh, think about it and tell us. Thank tomorrow. you very much. No, just stuff like this is great to just to feel part of the community and stuff. We're all in this together trying to make this work. It's great. So thank you very much for asking me along. Yeah. Thank you for all your questions. Well. It's nice to see you guys again. Thank you for tuning into the London Writers Salon podcast. If you enjoyed our chat and would like to join us for the next one, please visit LondonWritersSalon.com for more information on how to become a member. As a member, you will also have access to our interview archive, workshops and our cosy online writing community. Whatever kind of writer you are, it is an excellent place to make new creative connections and focus on your craft. And if you struggle to find time to write, like so many writers we know, you're welcome to write with us at Writer's Hour. It's a free, virtual, hour-long writing session. It runs Monday to Friday, four times a day, and all you need is the desire to write, something to write with, and a drink of your choice to cheers us. We think it's the world's best virtual co-working space for writers, creatives, or really anyone who just needs to get work done. Visit writershour.com to sign up, and we hope to see you there. Until we write again. Cheers, everyone.